gospel. Amen. Let's open our Bibles this morning, Luke chapter number 2, as we continue in the gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter number 2. We'll be reading verses 41 through 52, of course, through the Christmas season. Um, we were in Luke chapter number 2 uh, a couple weeks. I know Coleman and Colin uh, both preached out of that. We're going to continue here in verse number 41 this morning. Luke chapter number 2, and let's begin in verse number 40. Luke 2, verse number 40. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. When they had fulfilled the days, as they returned the child, Jesus tarried behind them in Jerusalem. Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintances. When they had found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. When they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? They understood not the saying which he spake unto them, and went down with them, and came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased wisdom in stature and in favor with God and with man. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you, Lord, and we do thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it's always right on time. And Lord, I, I thank you for each individual, God, that's gathered here this morning to sing your praises and Lord, to study your word. Lord, I pray for those that are in classes right now, Lord, our, our young people, Lord, and our, our young couples, Lord. I pray that you'd work in those this morning. But Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, you've already encouraged my heart through the singing, Lord, this morning. I pray that your word would teach us. I pray that your word would grow us. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning like only you can. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In your precious and your holy name we pray. Amen. We find Jesus in our text here. It says that he was 12 years old. Now, a lot of time has passed since he's been born. It's all in one chapter. We don't know a lot about his childhood, but he goes from being a baby uh, to here being 12 years old. Old. It's 12 years since his original presentation in the temple. His childhood is very quiet in the scriptures. It doesn't say a lot about it. But here we find him with his parents in Jerusalem and 12 years have passed. A couple things as I just thought in way of introduction is Jesus' childhood. Could you imagine, first of all, being Jesus' mom and dad? I mean... <laughs> Man, that'd be tough, wouldn't it? Now, I've met some kids that thought they were Jesus. Somebody help me this morning. Uh, but could you imagine me? Could you imagine this? I've thought of this. Could you imagine being Jesus' brother or sister? Now, my parents treated my sister like she was Jesus. Somebody help me this morning. Man, she never got in trouble. She was perfect, you know. I, you know, some thought she was the Messiah, okay. Uh, but could you imagine being his brother and sister and never seeing him get in trouble, never seeing him do anything wrong? He was without sin. Could you imagine maybe being one of Jesus' teachers? But here he is, a real person, 
a real young man, a real boy, at 12 years of age. I mean, what was Jesus like as a 12-year-old boy? I mean, what did he do as a 12-year-old? Man, what would he be like? Man, the perfect, spotless Son of God. What was Jesus like? Now, as we find our text, you'll notice here that he's 12 years old and his parents are headed to, to Jerusalem. They're ascending to Jerusalem for the Passover. Look at verse number 41 in your Bible this morning. Verse number 41. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Every year they were where they would take this trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the Passover. They would travel some 80 miles in this caravan to go for this holy feast. The purpose of this trip and the purpose of the celebration of the Passover was it's one of the three major feasts that the Jews would celebrate each year. And this one specifically was to celebrate all the way back from Deuteronomy chapter number 16. God commanded it to commemorate and to remember God delivering them from their bondage in Egypt. Old Testament law required the men that were 13 and older, the men of the house, those that were members of the synagogue, to come every year and present the lamb for their family. Look at verse number 42. Verse number 42. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem. They ascended to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. They ascended. They would, there would literally be hundreds uh, or there would literally be thousands of people that would ascend into Jerusalem. If you know your Bible, if you go back to Psalms, there's those songs of ascent. They would sing those songs as they begin to prepare for worship for that holy day as they moved towards the temple. This was not just a family event. Understand, this was a national event. Everyone would arrive there to celebrate the deliverance from Egypt. Jesus was 12. This is significant because the next year he would be 13 years old. And in the, the Jewish world, when you became 13, you would really become a man. You would have your bar mitzvah. This would be the last time that he would celebrate with his parents as what the Jewish man would consider a child. He would, on his next, the next year, he would go into the, be able to go into the temple, into the synagogue, and he'd celebrate it as a man. Now, when it comes to the Passover, the first task of the Passover was the priest, he would be, he would begin to gather all of the leaven uh, that, that, that they would have uh, gotten from each family by candlelight that, the, the night before, and they would come and they would offer it to God. They would burn it ceremonially in the temple. Next, they would begin to prepare for the slaughtering of each each family's lamb. About 3 o'clock that day, they would gather in the temple and each one would get ready as that ram's horn would sound off in unison. Each male would, would, would kill that lamb. That lamb would be slaughtered. The priests would be lined up in long rows, and as those lambs begin to be slaughtered, they would catch the blood on the silver on a silver basin, and they would begin to sprinkle it on the bottom of the altar, picturing that that Passover, remembering that Passover, that blood that had been applied. Then uh, the Levites would be looking on, and they would be singing songs out of Psalm 18, uh, 118 and 119 as this was happening. The lambs then would be taken uh, after they addressed the lambs. 
The, the lambs would be taken home and they'd be roasted. And after dark, the family would begin to eat the, the, the lamb and they would begin to celebrate. They would begin to pray. They would begin to recite psalms. Once that was done, many of them would return back to the streets of the city to begin to worship and to begin to pray and to begin to celebrate. This was an awesome event. This was something that God had commanded that it be done by Jewish law. This is something that the Jews would practice. This is something that they would do in order to remember the deliverance that God had given them. Jesus, no doubt, was part of this. And I wonder in his mind as he watched those lambs being slaughtered, man, he would be the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He is our Passover. He would be the one whose blood was poured out finally. And aren't you thankful for that this morning? Listen, it's an amazing thing to think about and to picture. So that's what's going on here. Look at verse number 43. When they fulfilled the days. Man, this thing lasted for days. As they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew it not. So they'd been there for days. The feast is over. The celebration for deliverance is over. It's time for the caravan, to, to, or the wagon train. That's like how I like to picture it. It's time for this wagon train to head home. But you know what happens? Jesus missed the bus. He didn't go. I mean, you ever lost one of your children? Man, it's a panic moment. Maybe you've been at the mall back in the day when there was malls around. And I remember Caitlin as a little girl. One time she's with me. We run to the mall, and I'm looking around, and I look around, and she, and I haven't ever shared this with you. I'm sorry. Uh, I look around, and guess what? Any, any parents ever had that sick feeling? No, you know. Man, I've had parents here even at our church, and I'm not going to name any names this morning. But get home, and my phone rings, and it said this, don't tell my wife, I'm on my way back, I forgot one of my children. True story, right here, dead end road. Man, it's a panic for getting your kids. But could you imagine losing Jesus? Man, you're losing the Son of God. You're losing Jesus. That's what happens. Look at verse 44. But they, supposing him to be in the company, they're not keeping a good eye on him. They're thinking he's with a family member or an acquaintance. Look at this. Went a day's journey. Not only did they leave Jesus and forget him, man, they traveled for a day without seeing this 12-year-old. And they sought him among their kinsfolk and among their acquaintances. They're looking for him. Look at verse 45. And when they found him not after this day's journey, man, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. So can you imagine Mary, just the emotion she must have been feeling? And Joseph. Man, our 12-year-old, we've gone a day, and he is not with us. Look at verse 46. And it came to pass that after three days, man, he was gone for three days. They found him in the temple. And look what he's doing. He's sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. He's in the temple with the Sanhedrin and with the rabbis. And this is amazing because this is Jesus. This is the God-man. But he's listening. He's learning. He's asking questions. Man, he's even answering some questions. Look at verse 47. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding as he's learning and at his answers. Verse number 48. And when they saw him, they were amazed. 
And his mother said unto him, so here it is, you're Mary and Joseph, and you haven't got all this stuff figured out. I mean, we read the Bible, and it's real simple in our minds. You know, an angel came to Mary, but they're here, and there's 12-year-old son sit there answering questions. It says here, they were amazed. Now, I don't know if you've had a 12-year-old, but I, I've had some 12, uh, I, I had a 12-year-old for a little while. I've been around a junior high boys. I've taught a men's small group. Somebody help me. Man, they're here, and they're 12-year-old. I'm amazed by what he's saying. I'm amazed by the answers that he is giving. Man, there is something different about this boy, this young man, this 12-year-old discussing God's Word. No doubt, man, the Sanhedrin and the rabbis, they were blown away by Jesus' questions and answers. Man, I wonder how many, I was thinking about this, I wonder how many of these rabbis and of these Sanhedrin that, that heard him as a boy were some of the same ones that watched him on the cross. Look at verse 48. They saw him and they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Mary says, Jesus, we've been looking for you. We've been, and we, we've been in sorrow. We've been scared. We've been, I mean, we were worried that something had happened to you. Look at verse 49. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? So these are the first recorded words of Jesus in the Gospels. Man, I must be about my father's business. Now, it was normal in this time for the son to take over the dad's trade. And, you know, as Joseph was a carpenter, of course, we understand that Jesus did fall in that line. But here he's talking about not Joseph, his earthly father's business, but his heavenly father's business. Look at verse 50. They understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them unto Nazareth, and he, and he was subject unto them. I think this is important because even Jesus himself submitted himself to the authority that God had placed over him. Man, he submitted himself to his mom and dad. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And I want you to look at verse 52. This is an amazing verse. This we're going to unpack a little bit this morning. Verse number 52 says this. And Jesus increased in wisdom in stature, and in favor with God and man. So it says Jesus here, even Jesus, grew. When it says increased, man, he grew or he advanced. He grew or he advanced. And the first thing it says is in wisdom. If you look back at verse number 40, it says this, and the child grew, and he waxed strong in spirit, filled with, with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So he grew in wisdom. And then it says he grew in stature. Listen, he grew physically, but he also grew into being big, a bigger person, man, as the Spirit of God, and as that grace was upon him. And then it says this, he grew in favor with God, his relationship with God, and with who? With man. He grew in favor with God and Man, so this word favor here simply comes from the word that we would use called grace. Not that saving grace, but that grace that, we would, that God would show us. Inside. So kind of that, that he, he, he was graceful towards them. He was graceful towards them. He had that grace. And I, I was studying this and thinking about this. If Jesus needed to grow, and Jesus was growing, he's our perfect example. Man, there's three areas here that he grew in that I think we can learn from this morning. Man, he grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew in favor with God and man. 
thought about three things this morning as I begin to study this and really ponder this text this week and what an awesome text it is. Just getting a little insight into 12-year-old Jesus' life. Man, this growth that he had. Man, these things that were happening in him. The first thing that I noticed in our text, and I thought this was awesome and this will help us, is number one is this. He did not, if we want to grow and we're going to move forward, we need to follow his example. Listen, he did not waste opportunities to learn. Jesus himself did not waste opportunities to learn. We're most 12-year-old boys. I don't know a lot of 12-year-old boys fired up about just learning and discussing the Bible with their preacher. Would y'all agree? I mean, 12-year-old boys. Man, why is that 12-year-old? Two things. I, I wanted to be outside, and you're just on the cusp of deciding if you're going to start chasing girls or not. Somebody help me. Man, your, your mind isn't on spiritual things at 12-year-old. Man, your mind isn't necessarily wanting to learn the Word at 12 years old. But here, Jesus, listen, He didn't waste the opportunity. They're in Jerusalem. He knows where the temple is. He knows where the synagogue is. And where do His parents find Him? Sitting with the rabbis and with the Sanhedrin and with the teachers and with the men of the synagogue. And He's at, and this is awesome. Even Jesus was asking questions. Even Jesus was learning Listen, and I, man, I thought about this. Each one of us as believers should be willing and desiring and wanting to learn and to grow. Do you know we can learn from everyone? Man, we can learn from everybody. God has placed people in our lives for us to learn from. We can learn some sort of lesson from everybody that's in our lives. We can all learn from each other. And by the way, none of us know it all. If we think we do, we are sadly mistaken. First of all, under this I wrote down this, we all need personal study. As a Christian and as a believer... Studying to show ourselves approved unto God. Listen, that should be a daily part of our life is studying the Word of God. You, and I'm not trying to be mean here, but you will not grow as a believer until you begin to study God's Word on your own personally. Man, that's where growth comes from. First of all, studying the Word of God. Jesus is sitting there. He's in that small group, if you will, studying, asking questions. Man, that personal study. Man, we also, if we're going to grow when it comes to learning, we all, myself included, need preaching and we need teaching. We all need preaching and we all need teaching. A person who is unwilling to learn, y'all listen to me, a person who is not teachable, a person who is unwilling to learn is unwilling to grow. Man, a person who is unwilling to learn is unwilling to grow. Man, I need to learn some things in my man, when it comes to the family, we should all, as dads and as parents, man, we should be all learning and growing as leaders of our homes. Somebody help me. Man, we should be looking for ways that we can be better moms and better dads and better leaders in our homes. Man, learning. And by the way, in our marriages, listen, we should all be growing. We should all be learning. We should all be making changes. And by the way, let me just, let me just get on the men for just a second. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was on a panel with young men yesterday. There was a bunch of preachers, and we were on a panel, and young men were asking us questions down in Atlanta. And they said they were talking about marriage, and they were talking about, man, finding a godly lady that will follow us. And can I just say this, men, y'all listen to me. If you're in the Word, 
and you're leading by example, and you're praying, and you're the leader in the home, and you're going to church, and your wife knows you're faithful, if she's a godly woman, y'all listen to me, she is going to follow you. She is going to follow you. If you're in the Word, if you're leading, if you're in prayer, well, I just want my wife to follow me. Well, are you the leader in the home? Are you setting the spiritual example? Are you willing to grow? Are you teachable? Are you learning? Are you growing? I, I thought about that in our home. How about this in our finances? Man, as we get older, we should be learning in our finances. We should be growing. How many of you, when you were 18 to about 25, you made some mistakes in your finances? If you don't learn from those mistakes and you don't grow in that area, man, it's going to cause problems for the rest of your life. We should always be learning and growing and getting better in each one of those areas. What about this? In our theology, in the Word of God. Man, there's nothing worse than a spiritual know-it-all. The more I study the Word, the more I find out how much I don't know. Man, we should be hungry for it. This is why, y'all listen to me, this is why Sunday morning is so important. This is why Sunday night is so important. This is why your small group environment is so important. Listen, because none of us have it all together. All of us need it. We all need to grow. What a, you know, it just, so just think about that this morning. He didn't waste opportunities to learn. Man, he could have been out playing with the other kids. He could have been running in the streets, finishing the celebration. He probably should have been with his parents headed home. But what was he doing? He was learning. He was growing. Man, I need to learn. You need to learn. We need to learn. The second thing that I noticed from our text about Jesus, the Son of God, is this. He submitted to his God-given authority. He submitted to his God-given authority. It says he submitted to his parents. He obeyed his parents. He submitted to his parents. Listen, God has placed authority in every one of our lives. If you're a young person, your parents are your authority. We are submit to that authority. The only time we do not submit to authority is when they are moved outside of God's word. That goes for us as adults. Man, some of us, how many of you have a boss? Slip up your hand. If you have a boss, guess who your authority is at work? It's your boss. That's hard sometimes. And I've had them even, and not here, thank God, we've got a great staff. But I had a staff member one time, Jason, tell me, he says, I don't work for you, I work for God. I said, good, go see him, get, go, go, go get your paycheck from him on Thursday. Man, if God's placed a boss, and I'll have people that, oh, we always know better than our bosses as adults, don't we? You know what I would say to you? If you know better than your boss, you go out and start your own business. You go out and put your house on the line. You go out and put the blood, sweat, and tears to get what they've got. Somebody help me this morning. When God has placed authority over our lives, we are to submit to that authority as long as it doesn't go outside of God's word and God's commandments. Jesus submitted to his parents. We are to submit to our authority, our government, as long as they're not outside of what God has intended. We are to follow his example, and we are to submit to that authority. Now, here's the message, the third one. And this is awesome, this last phrase in, the, in, in this chapter. Look at it. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and in favor with who? With man. He grew in his relationships with God and with man. Man, that pattern of grace that God showed sinners. That's what that word favor means. Now there's two great relationships in the Christian life. Two of them. Our relationship with God 
and our relationship with each other. If our relationships with each other isn't right, our relationships with God isn't right. 1 John chapter number 4 says this, If a man say, I love God and hateth my brother, this is what it says, and this is strong language, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? There's another one. This one got a hold of me recently. And I had to settle some stuff in my heart. The greatest sermon preached by the greatest preacher that ever preached, Matthew chapter number 5, Jesus said this, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, and first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come offer the gift. Man, I wonder how many of our personal ministries this morning, mine included, have been hindered because we've carried bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts. You've heard my testimony for almost 20 years. I've carried bitterness in my heart. And that bitterness didn't hurt that person I was bitter against. That unforgiveness didn't hurt them. You've heard me say it a hundred times if you've been here once. Who did that bitterness kill and hurt? Man, it hurt me. They weren't laying awake at night thinking about it. I was laying awake at night thinking about it. Man, they weren't letting it consume them. I was letting it consume them. Now, I understand that there's times where someone has hurt us to the point where they'll never have the same influence and the same position in our life that they once had. Maybe you were sexually abused by someone, or maybe a spouse walked out on you. They're not going to become your spouse again necessarily, or that person's not going to become. Does everybody track with me on that? However, if I hold that bitterness, and I hold that in my heart, and I'm not growing in grace toward man, listen, I'm just telling you right now, you're only hurting yourself this morning. Jesus continued in grace his entire life. He sat around a table knowing that Judas was going to betray him, yet he showed grace and gave him the best seat in the house. Listen, person after person, listen, that mocked him and that he knew would want to kill him, yet he showed grace to every single one of them and forgiveness to every single one of them. Matter of fact, when the disciples came to him, he said, Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Seventy times seven. We're, we're figuring it out. Somebody help me. What was he saying? Over, over, and over again. Great relationships, great marriages, great churches are built on people that learn to forgive each other over and over and over again. Aren't you thankful that's how our Lord and our Savior and our King is with us this morning? Man, I fail him, and what's he do? He forgives me. I let him down, and what's he do? He forgives me. I run from him, and what's he do? He forgives me. Hey, I get out in the hog pen away from him, and the moment that I come home, he's standing on the porch, and what's he do? He gets that robe. He gets that best ring. He kills the fatted calf. He has a party because he loves us. It's the type of forgiving God he is. Man, if God could forgive me, and I know myself like nobody else knows myself beside God himself, and I'm just telling you by way of testimony this morning, if he can forgive me and he can forgive you, we can forgive that person and we can grow in grace towards them. It's tough stuff sometimes. Stories told about, about Lee the last years of Charles Breslin. 
He reports that after the Civil War, Robert E. Lee visited a Kentucky lady who took him to the remains of a grand old tree in front of her house. There she bitterly cried that its limbs and its trunk had been destroyed by federal artillery fire. She looked to Lee for a word condemning the North or at least sympathizing with her loss. After a brief silence, Lee said, Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. It is better to forgive the injustices of the past than allow them to remain. Let bitterness take root and the poison the rest of your life. Can I just ask you this morning, I wonder how many of us have a little stump still in the front yard, a little trunk of a tree, with that reminder over and over again that we need to go out there and we just need to blow it up and we need to let that thing go. Is there a tree in your life this morning that you need to cut down and forget. Jesus sitting in the temple as a 12-year-old boy, man, he looked across that room and he saw some that would one day yell out, crucify them. Man, he saw some one day that would laugh and mock and scourge and make fun of this morning. Yet, listen, with the eyes of grace and the eyes of love and the eyes of forgiveness, true growth and maturity is displayed, listen, by our humility to learn and our willingness to forgive. Let me say that again. That's free. Y'all need to write that one down this morning. Listen. True growth and maturity is displayed by our humility to learn and our willingness to forgive. Jesus sat there learning. Jesus lived a life of forgiveness. And let me just say this, this morning, each one of us, myself included, we're either growing or we're dying. We're either moving forward or we're moving backwards. And I just want to encourage you, maybe you've been stagnant for a little bit. Maybe you, maybe, you know, this is the first of the year. I mean, we're in January still. Maybe, maybe we need to decide today, I'm going to humble myself and begin to learn once again. I'm going to be willing to forgive. I'm going to let that thing in my life go that I need to let go because it's holding me back. Man, it's keeping me from getting to where God wants me to be. It's keeping me from growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. God has given us relationships on this earth. And can I just say this? Life is relationships. Show me how your relationships are, and I'll show you how your life is. If your relationships stink, guess what? Just simple. Your life's going to stink. If your relationships at home are bad, your life's going to be bad. If all your relationships at work are bad, work's going to be bad. If your relationships at church are bad, church is going to be bad. And what I found is this. When my relationships at home are bad, when my relationships at work are bad, when my relationships at church are bad, it's not everybody else's fault. We live in the world of, hey, it's my boss's fault. It's my spouse's fault. It's my preacher's fault. It's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. Listen, when I'm going through problems, when I'm going through issues, and when my relationships are a mess, I only got one person to blame, and that's me. It's my fault. Man, I've got to think about it. Man, am I showing the grace that Jesus shows me? Am I showing the forgiveness? Am I showing the growth? So all I want to say to you this morning, have you humbled yourself to where you're going to continue to learning? Hey, are you willing to forgive? If you're going to move forward and live the victorious Christian life, I mean, those are two of the greatest principles that you and I can adapt into our life. True growth and maturity is displayed by our humility to learn and our willingness to forgive. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Stand to our feet this morning. Maybe you're here this morning. 
And you need to just kind of reset a little bit. You just need to decide, hey, I'm, I, I've been a little prideful. I need to begin to learn again. I, may, I need to begin to grow. I need to forgive somebody. This altar's open this morning. As Matt sings, we'll have some counselors down front that will pray with you during the invitation or after the service. Let's make decisions for Christ this morning as Matt begins to sing.